Well, open your Bibles to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers 13. There, there have been uh, many stories over the years told about uh, Newt Rockney. Now, some of you guys will know who Newt Rockney is, but he was the famous coach of, of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And there are numerous legendary stories of, of this guy. But one I thought was appropriate for uh, our story today was uh, when Newt Rockney and Notre Dame were about to face the USC football team, the University of South or South Carolina. I was going to say South Carolina. I was thinking of vacation too. Excuse me, a Southern California. And uh, so when they were they were facing them, and, and USC was a far superior team. Uh, and so Newt was wondering, what, what are we going to do? How am I going to? How are we going to change uh, what we're facing here in this uh, in this great team at USC? And so one of the ideas that he had is that he scoured all of South Bend, where Notre Dame is. He scoured it for all his people to go out and find the biggest guys that uh, you can find. Well, he found about a hundred men who were each at least six foot five or more and weighing in at 300 pounds or more. So he scoured all these guys and he threw uh, Notre Dame uniforms, helmets and pads and uniforms on them and took them to face USC. So on, on the day of the game, when it was time for the game to begin, Newt Rockney takes all these 100 men and he sends them out on the field first. And so here is USC watching Notre Dame come out. And they're watching six foot five, six foot seven, six foot eight, 330 pounds, 350 pounds. There's probably a 375 guy in there. And one guy after another, I mean, a hundred men. Well, the USC coach sees what's happening to his guys. So he starts trying to rally the guys and he's telling, hey, 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 guys. Just, they can only put 11 people on the field at one time. They can't put all 100 out there. Needless to say, it didn't work. And USC was done in just by the appearance of 100 guys, by the way, who weren't even on the team, just in disguise, and they lost. In our story today, 12 scouts are going to be sent out. And they're going to come across guys who appear as giants to them. And they have a choice. Are they going to be overwhelmed by the appearance of what they see? Or are they going to trust the word of their coach, who is God? They told them not only will uh, uh, can, can they only send 11 out on the field at a time, but I'm on the field with you. I'm going to bring you into this land. I'm going to deliver it to you. I'm going to take care of these people for you. Are they going to believe that? Or are they going to follow their fears, which lead to doubts and belief? You and I are going to face and have faced and will face and perhaps are facing giants in our lives. Obstacles of faith. In our lives. And we have a choice that we have to make when we see these obstacles. 
Are we going to make a choice of faith or a choice of doubt and fear and unbelief? Are we going to make a choice of faith, not in faith and just something to believe, but faith in God? It's not just faith in faith, but it's faith in our God. Our God whom we just sang of. Our God who is stronger, who is mightier. Are we going to trust that God or are we going to allow our fear and our doubts to lead us to unbelief? It's a choice we have to make. It's an attitude choice. We've been talking about attitudes and attitudes are a way of thinking about life. It becomes a pattern. And the choice of choosing faith over doubt can become an attitude in your life. You can be a person that ends up seeing the obstacles in life and you can choose, yes, God, I will trust you because of what I just sang and what your word declares. Or you can end up setting a pattern of life where you begin to doubt. God, is that really who you are? Who I sing about and who I read? It's a choice of attitudes that we each have to make. I want to challenge you to choose faith. Now, in our text here this morning, let's look at this in Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. The Israelites are on the, uh, they are on the brink of the promised land. They have come right up to it, right up to the promised land, right on the edge. God has brought them so far. And here they are on the edge in a place called Kadesh Barnea. And then verse 1 says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out or scout out or explore and investigate the land of Canaan, which I am, note this, this is a place to underline, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, everyone a chief among them. On essence, the land that they had so long heard of, is it's literally right in front of them. Right in front of them. It tells us in, in uh, Deuteronomy that uh, Moses also said this. He said, I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord your God is about to give us. Get that. See, the Lord your God has placed the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has spoken to you. Do not be, do not fear, do not be dismayed. It's almost as Moses was saying these things, he began to look into the eyes of, of the people. And, and he saw perhaps a certain attitude begin to take place. It's like he started to look into them and he could kind of see the fear kind of, kind of go in their minds a little bit. He could maybe see that the faces maybe sagging and maybe seeing signs of doubt. So he says, do not fear. Do not doubt. Don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. Perhaps he saw the doubt setting in. So Moses, verse 3, sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the command of the Lord, all of them who were heads of the sons of Israel. There are 12 uh, sons, or there are 12 tribes. And so Moses here, he sends out 12 men from the tri- he sends out 12 people from the tribe of Israel. And now these guys were the, 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 the 
These were the top dogs. These were kind of like the SEAL Team 6 of the Israeli special forces. That's, that's what I kind of relate them to. And so he sent out 12, and that's a foot. Paxton, where are you? Am I doing any better, or is it still pretty bad? It's okay, thank you. So they sent out 12, 12 and that is actually a 12. But uh, so they sent out 12 spies, and these guys, like I said, were, were the kind of the, the top of the top. They, they, were, they had it together. They were leaders. And so in verses 17 through 20, Moses gives them their marching orders. All right. Basically, what he tells them is you need to go. And basically, what I want you to do is I want you to report about the land. Tell me what it's like. I want you to tell me about the inhabitants and then bring back some fruit samples. OK, that's what he, he does. I like that part. Fruit samples. He, he says, bring us back some fruit from the land. And so that's what they do in verses 21 through 24. They travel about 500 miles in 40 days. Can you imagine that? 500 miles in 40 days. I mean, these guys had it together. All right. They had done P90X a couple times. Okay. So they, they notice and they go out. But I want you to notice something here in verse 22. A special mention is made of Hebron in this verse. It says, when they had gone up into the Negev, they came to Hebron where Ahiman and Sheshai and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were. Now, Hebron was built seven years before in Egypt. Now, it's in Hebron. This is important. It's, it's, you say, well, what's so big deal about this? Well, it's, it's important because here in Hebron, they see these people called the Anak or the Anakites. And their name literally means long neck. Or literally means children of the neck is what it literally means. And what it was is it was a reference that these people, guess what? They were tall. They were tall people. They were big people. And these people were renowned for being very tall people and having great military prowess. These people were here. Now, God had told them long before that that there would be people in the land. But at the same time that he told them there would be people in the land, he said this, See, I have placed the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give you, your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to them, and their descendants after them. Go into this land. See, the people in Hebron, when they saw the Anakites, they were facing a test. These large people, these giants of people, what were they going to do with this test of faith? Would they trust God's promises? Or would they carry on the doubts? You need to know this, that in our lives you can expect regular tests of faith in your life. They're going to come. You say, Matt, they're here. I know. And more are going to come. There are going to be giants that we have to face in our life. And they're going to leave big footprints. And they're going to be difficult to face. Expect them. They're going to be there. And these, these scouts, they knew they were there. They knew they were going to face these tests. 
And this test was for the purpose of strengthening their faith. This was an opportunity that their faith could actually expand and actually grow. It was an opportunity where they would believe the songs that our God is stronger, or would they wilt at the face of the Anakites, these supposed giants? In the midst of this, as you face these giants in your life, these difficulties, it's important that we that we have faith encouragements. And God gives us these, by the way. And that's what I think he's doing right here in Hebron when he mentions Hebron. You'll say, well, why? Well, despite the Anakites being in Hebron, Hebron was a historical faith encourager for the people of Israel. It was near Hebron that Abraham, the great patriarch, where God reiterated his promise that all this land here, Abraham, was going to go to you and your descendants. It was, that's where this took place, here in Hebron. It was also the place where Abraham was able to send out men to defeat a coalition of kings that came and, and threatened God's promise of carrying the seed through Abraham. It's also the only real piece of real estate that Abraham ever purchased was right here in Hebron. It's where the patriarchs have been buried. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers of the Israelite nation. See, this was important. This was a, a faith encouragement. That though they saw the Anakites, God is saying, but look, it's Hebron. Remember what I've done? Remember my promise? Remember what I swore to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob? Yeah. You're here. Will you choose faith? Or will you choose fear and doubt? I thought about this, I thought of one place, because this, this place was kind of like uh, Plymouth Rock for Americans, or another place I thought of was when I was in uh, the Philippines. I was traveling around the islands there, and you remember the, the great, great statements uh, by uh, Douglas MacArthur when he said, I shall return. I, I went to that place where he actually returns, and they have statues there, and it kind of got me pumped up that I just like almost wanted to start, you know jump out in the water and then just scurry up the beach myself. But I didn't, all right? But it, it's that kind of place that had feeling here for them. It was one of those monumental places. My question is, what are those places in your life? What are those historical encouragers that you have? Places where you have seen God work in your life. And why I bring this up is because it's essential that as you face these giant footprints... As you face these things, you need to recall those places of Hebron in your life. You remember, remember how God worked in your life. You need to remember how that we do have a God who is stronger. You can say amen there. Now, there's something else here I thought was interesting as I thought about these guys going around and seeing these Anakites. There's another faith of encouragement. It's in verse 16. We see one of the guys was Hosea, which, which means salvation. But you see that Moses changes his name to Joshua, which means Jehovah is salvation. That, that's, that's important. 
Joshua means Jehovah's salvation. Joshua was a chief assistant to Moses. You've got to think that Moses, wanted, if he wanted him to come away with anything, Moses wanted Hosea to come away with, all right, you, salvation isn't in yourself, but it's in our God. It's in Jehovah is salvation, Joshua. And I just wonder, as the scouts were wandering out in the land there, and as they were looking at the Anakites, every time that maybe they, they said Joshua, or they thought of Joshua, or they heard Joshua speak, that, that could have been an opportunity for them to re- remember that Jehovah is salvation. The Lord delivers. God is strong. Joshua. The reality is we need people like that in our lives. As we face these, these giants of our, of our lives, we need people who are going to be faith encouragers in our life. And the reality is God will bring those people in your life. You just got to look. But he strategically places, just like the name Joshua, he strategically places people in your life to encourage you to face the obstacles to your faith. I remember when Elizabeth and I were in our first church. And I thought, you know, I was being young and naive and, boy, I could go and God could use me to uh, turn this church around and, uh, you know, I just apply some of the things I learned from seminary and I got there and it was a whole lot worse than I thought. Whole more, more difficult than I ever imagined. It was interesting how God worked in our lives through the seven and a half years. And one of the ways that he strategically worked, I remember very early on, the first year there, there was a, a young couple that were still, or not a young couple, they're older than us, that were still good friends with us today. That they specifically came to that church. They had been there once before. They came back. And I remember them sending, sending us down in the home that we were renting at the time. And they told us this. He says, we're coming back to this church because we want to encourage you. That's why we're coming back. That's how God works. He's going to place people in your lives that when you, your faith is waxing and waning, you're doubting, you're struggling, he's going to put people in your lives that can speak truth in your life and speak encouragement to help you remind you that, hey, our God is strong. Don't stop believing this now, Matt. Don't stop now. Our God is good. He can strengthen you. You can have faith in him. You need those kind of people in your lives. And if you look, God will send them your way. Now, let's look at this. Verse 25. What an opportunity for faith building this was for these scouts. What an opportunity they could come back, strengthened from what they had seen and heard. And verse 25 says, When they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. You can just imagine that as they're, as they're doing this, the people... Uh, the anticipation that was building there. For 40 days, these guys were gone. You know, SEAL Team 6 was gone. 40 days. What are they going to say when they come back? What will be their reply? What will be the report? And so they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. They brought back the fruit samples. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us. And it certainly does flow with milk and honey, just like God said. And this is the fruits. 
And so they brought back fruit with them. They brought back the samples. And I'm going to make red grapes because I returned the green one. But they brought back grapes and pomegranates and figs and all those good things. And they said, look, look how look, look at this. It is true. It is so true what, what God would say. This is truly a, a land. Paxton, is that any better? Yeah, thank you. You are an encourager. Would you please go over and sit by Mr. Wiggins over here? Okay. So they brought back fruits. They brought back the fruit samples and they said, look how good it is. I mean, I can just imagine the people. I mean, they probably look like my kids. You, you ever had, you, you parents know this. It, it doesn't matter what hour of the day is, but I have food out. And especially if it's something like, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm really looking forward to eating this. My kids just are just do this move to you. And they just keep staring. You try to look away from them and stuff. And they keep looking. I imagine that's what the Israelites were doing because they had been out in the wilderness and they had not seen fruit like this. And there it is. And so they go on in the reports. It starts out a good report. And so they go on and it says, nevertheless. Moses had to go, what? This wasn't just any conjunction that they're using here. Nevertheless, or however, guys are going, what? On the other hand. So you can just start seeing the people's faces who are salivating over the fruit to start going. A question mark comes up in their face. Except that. Doubt making its way in. Nevertheless, the people who lived in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev. What's so interesting about Amalek is that the Israelites have already had victory over the Amalekites in Exodus. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of Jordan. And you can just feel the air just kind of going out of the congregation. Despite God's faithful provision, the, the people who dwell in the land are strong, say the scouts. Despite God's faithful plans, the cities are fortified and very large, say the ten scouts. Despite God's faithful protection, we, we saw the Anakites, those, those large people. Despite God's faithful repeated promises, there's all kinds of Amakites and Jebusites and otherites all there. Doubt. And the focus goes to the obstacle, not the fruit. Scouts are beginning to head down the road of doubt. It's an attitude, folks. It's an attitude if you go through and you read through numbers and other places, you can just see it underlining all throughout the Israelites. And here it is, starts making its way out of these leaders. Doubt. They seem always to be quick to doubt God's promise and provision. And aren't we? I know I have been. 
First, we've got to ask, well, what is doubt? We need to define this. What, what is doubt? Some define doubt as the absence of faith. I disagree with that. Let me tell you why. I disagree with that definition. I, I disagree even a bit with the, the book that I've been recommending you. I, I use James McDonald's definition here, but I, I want to. He says, doubt is a lack of confidence or assurance that God will keep his promises. I, I want to tweak that a little bit. I would change the definition this way. Follow along. Doubt is a lack of full confidence or assurance that God will keep his promises. That is, doubt is a lack of full confidence or assurance that God will keep his promises that if allowed to persist, and here's what I add on there, that if allowed to persist can lead to unbelief. You say, well, why do you say that, Matt? Because I do not believe that it's wrong to have doubts in and of themselves. I think what the issue is, is what you do with your doubts. That's the issue. What are you going to do with your doubts? How will you handle those? I agree with Alistair McGrath who says, faith is not a product of absolute certain knowledge. In essence, doubts and questions are a natural part of life. Uncertainty is a part of life. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's part of faith. See, the question is, what will you do with those questions and those doubts when they come? Will you continue to feed those? Or will you turn to faith in God and His answer to those? That's the question. Will you persist in doubts and let doubts feed more doubts? Will you choose to make a, a doubt a lifestyle? Or instead, will you choose to make doubt as a doorway to greater faith? Did you get that? We all have doubts. We all have questions. That's a normal part of life. I've had them. I have them. The question is, what will we do with those doubts? What will we do with the uncertainties of life? Will we focus on the obstacle? Or will we focus on the source of our faith, God? As I look at this passage, I believe this is exactly what two of the spies did. I think two of the spies, they, they made doubt as a doorway to greater faith. You see this in verse 30. Then Caleb uh, quieted the people before the Mo Moses. Literally, he hushed them. You guys say, why was he hushing them? Well, they were grumbling, that's why. They, they, were, they were murmuring. You could, just, you could just hear the murmurs going across uh, the congregation. You parents would know this if you ever go to the circus and you tell your kids, you're not going to have anything at this circus, all right? And then you hear this, that goes on. It was worse than that, okay? I just went to the circus. That's why I say this. But they're grumbling. And Moses, or Caleb, steps up and he quiets them. And he said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it. For we will surely overcome it. Can you imagine the strength? Now here's a man of faith. Here's a guy who stood up when he heard all the murmurings and all the grumblings. He says, no, we can do it. We surely can. 
John Corson writes, you want a sure way to be forgotten in history, in your family, in the work of the kingdom? Murmur, be cynical, be a doubter, be a, be a skeptical, be a, be a critic. Sit back and say, this isn't right and that will never happen. That's a good way to be forgotten. He said, why? Because do any of us remember the names of the ten other spies? I mean, I, without looking back, can any of you right now, and don't shout out, but in your mind, can you name any of the other ten spies? But you can name the two, can't you? Caleb and Joshua. Pretty cool, isn't it? Those other guys were probably seeming real popular right now. People are like, yeah, I'm going with the ten. I'm going with the majority report, not the minority report here. And, and the thing is, I don't think, and I'm totally guessing, I'm totally adding in here, I don't think Caleb was without doubts. I don't think when Caleb saw the Anakites and he saw the Jebusites and saw the Canaanites that he knew and he was for certain how exactly God was going to deliver the people from the Israelites from those people. But here's the choice that he made. Instead of taking those uncertainties and pursuing it with an attitude of doubt, he chose faith. Because he had seen and he knew from history how strong his God was. That's how come he could get up and say, we certainly should take the land. You see, faith focuses on God in the midst of obstacles, whereas persistent doubts will remain focused on the obstacles. Faith focuses on God in the midst of the obstacles. So you're going to see some big footprints out there in life and some big giants, and you have a choice. Am I going to stay on that, or am I going to turn to the God who I just sang about this morning by saying our God is stronger? Our God is greater. I'm going to turn to that God. It's a choice you have. I believe when Caleb says we will, he certainly included God. Numbers 14.8 makes this abundantly clear because in Numbers 14.8, he and Joshua say, If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. And, And by the way, what pleases God? Well, Hebrews 11.6 says this, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. I believe what Caleb and what Joshua did is they looked doubt square in the face. And they said no to it. And they chose faith in their God who was stronger, who was greater. And they made that choice. My question for you and I today is, what choice will you make? When doubt comes your way, and it will, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to stay focused on it? Or are you going to turn to our God, who is stronger, who is greater? Who we sung about today. Unfortunately, Tim the Scouts did not. Instead, they chose for doubt to be a doorway to unbelief instead of greater belief. Look at verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able. Hear that. Caleb just makes this proclaim that we can, and they stand out and say, We are not able. That's, that's, a, clear, that's a clear proclamation of unbelief. 
and lack of trust. These men had heard the promises. They had just heard Moses 40 days before to go into the land which God has given us or is going to give us. This is we are not able. So doubt turns to unbelief, turns to the absence of faith. We're not able to go against this people, for they are too strong for us. Here's a problem they have, too. Notice that they're focusing on us. And God has already told them, no, I will deliver them. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land. There's intentionality in this, and that's what is so destructive about doubt. As you pursue it, and as it moves into unbelief, and as it makes its way out, you want other people to join you in it. And you put out disillusionment and discouragement. Look what they said. Which they gave a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone in, spying out, is a land that devours its inhabitants. Wait a minute, you just brought back fruit. And now you're saying this land actually devours you? I want you to notice the exaggeration that begins. And all the people whom we saw in it, notice that, all the people that we saw in it are men of great size. So it just went from the Anakites to all the people. See the disillusionment that's happening? The loss of perspective that happens from doubt and unbelief. There also we saw the Nephilim. The sons of, get this, the sons of Anak are, are part of Nephilim. And this would have just gotten like from the crowd. You say, why? Well, the Nephilim was actually the only other place it's mentioned or another place it's mentioned. It's mentioned first in Genesis 6, 4, where it speaks of those those people there uh, who were of uh, of great stature or, or who were strong tyrants. And the, and the term Nephilim came to refer to as kind of a catchword for uh, those who implied who were kind of superhuman giants. In essence, and here's another thing, the Nephilim were in Genesis 6. Guess what happened after Genesis 6-4, where it's mentioned? There's a thing called the flood, a worldwide flood. Guess who survived in that? Just Noah and his family. Guess who didn't? The Nephilim? They, they weren't real. They're, they're kind of like our boogeyman, okay? That's kind of what it was like. In essence, to discourage and disillusion these people further, these scouts, they have they've gone so far in their doubts and their unbelief that now they're, they're, they're pulling up terms to exaggerate the situation. That, hey, these Anakites, these are those superhuman people that we've been hearing about all our lives. Get scared. We can't go into this. We can't do it. And that's what persistent doubting. That's why I want to warn you. Be careful with the company you keep. Those who have chosen uh, doubt as an attitude of life. Yes, we need to minister to them. We need to tell them the truth about faith. But be careful with the company. Because it's 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 contagious. My question for you is, whose voice will you follow? You follow the ten or you follow the two? What are the competing voices 
What are competing voices in your life that are casting doubts and fear and unbelief in your life? Don't stay focused on them. Turn to God. Oh, I wish the congregation had done that in Israel. Verse 1 says, Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And the people, get this, and the people wept that night. They just didn't laugh off if it was an Ephelium. They were fearful. And they cried and they wept. Doubt had spread and disillusionment and discouragement had had made its way into the people. And and guess what happens? Verse 2, all the sons of Israel grumbled. They complained and criticized against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, look at this, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or that we would have died in this wilderness. What does it matter? Death is death. Die in Egypt, die in wilderness, or face these... Anakites. See, see the disillusionment happening in their minds? And then they say this. Why is the Lord bringing us into the land? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to the one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. How rational is this, by the way? First of all, do they really think, and James McDonald pointed this out, do they really think Pharaoh is just going to welcome them back into this kingdom? Hey, yeah, you just, yeah, your God just destroyed my army in the ocean. Come right on in. All right? We, we want you back. That's irrational. And, and second, do they really think, because how did they make it thus far? How did they even make it through the desert and wilderness? They made it because God provided for them. Do you really think that if they go back, That God's going to provide bread from heaven again? I think not. I don't think it's going to happen. Have they really forgotten all that God has done? Have they forgotten the pillar of fire? The cloud by day? Have they forgot the part in the Red Sea? The food, the quails, all that See, doubts and unbelief leads to disillusionment. And don't we do that? I found this in one of my commentaries. It says this, isn't our unbelief equally irrational? We believe and proclaim that our God created the universe out of nothing. Yet we find it hard to believe that the results of a particular medical test belong to him. We believe and proclaim that our God directs the courses of kings and nations and that he has transformed our own dead hearts into living, responsive flesh. Yet we find it hard to believe that he can bring our stubborn friends and neighbors to faith in himself. We believe and proclaim that our God entered history as a baby in Bethlehem. Yet we find it hard to believe that he is active in our own personal history, holding our hand through the events of this week and the next. We believe and proclaim that he suffered on the cross for our sins and rose again triumphant from the grave to free us from our sins. Yet we find it hard to believe that this particular sin of ours could even be forgiven or that the power of that sinful habit could ever be or broken. You see the irrationality of our own faith at times? 
You see how doubts fueled by discouragement and disillusionment can lead to areas of lack of faith? Don't choose that. Choose faith in the God who we sung about. Our God who is stronger. Our God who is greater. Faith in that God. Unbelief is serious, folks. It's serious because what the people of Israel were doing here is that they were challenging the very character of God. And that's serious grounds. They doubted his goodness. They doubted his provision. And it led to rebellion. Verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. That is, they knew the gravity of what was happening. They knew how serious it was, so they, they fall on their faces doing the first thing they should do is, is pray. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, look what they do. They tore their clothes. It was a sign of great distress, particularly when someone had died. Literally, I think what they were seeing is they were seeing this could lead to death for all these people. And so they tear their clothes in, in, in great distress. And they spoke to all the congregations of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then He, get that, He will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land. For they will be our prey. They will be our bread, literally, is what it is. Their protection has been removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. This brings to mind of a story I heard. It was one of those nature shows. Uh, Madeline loves to watch these shows, and I, I kind of enjoy them myself. But it was a story of how there was this mountain lion, and uh, this mountain lion comes around, and all of a sudden there's this bear cub. And as this huge mountain lion comes around, this huge bear cub, and they've got the, they're, they're painting the picture on this, 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 this small little bear cub, excuse me, it just rouses up and it's just growling like this. How's that, Paxton? Is that good? And uh, they're just growling away. And you're like, wow, where did this, this bear cub get all this, this courage to stand up to this big mountain lion? And then they, they pan the picture, and right behind the bear cub, is this huge mama cub up on her hind feet and standing up like this right behind the bear cub. Caleb and Joshua knew that. They had that picture in their mind. They could stand up in bold faith and in confidence and proclaim what they did because they knew the papa bear that was with them. Do you know that? Do you know that you have God the Father with you? He's right there with you. Not just behind you, but with you. Oh, would we turn to faith in that God? Moses also spoke, and he said this in Deuteronomy one twenty nine. Then I said to you, do not be shocked, nor fear them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight on your behalf, just as he did for you in Egypt. 
before your eyes and in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God. I want this is what I want you to get. The Lord your God carried you just as a man carries his son and all the way which you have walked until you came to this place. Now, I want you to get that picture in your mind just as he carries his son. At the circus this this uh, Friday, uh, I, it was just me and my three children, Madeline, Hannah and Samuel. And uh, towards the end of the circus, it was this thing lasted like nine thirty. All right. And poor little Samuel, I just see him over there and his, he's just doing one of these numbers. And I'm just waiting for him to hit his head right in that metal hard you know, seats that are in the, the place over there. Finally, he comes over to me and, and, and uh, he gets in my arms. And. Uh, he goes to sleep fully. And then the circus ends. I mean, he, he does it through all the, the, you know, the end with the motorcycles and all that. I mean, it's loud. And that, that boy's still sleeping. And then everyone gets up. And I know, you know, the mash of the crowd that's, that happens at the end of the circus. And so I know that. So I'm like, let's start getting up. And I, and I pick this guy up. And uh, those seats aren't easy. A lot of room to get around. They're kind of steep. But I put this boy in my arms and I put a lock hold on. He, he's not going anywhere. I walk down those steps with him, and the kids are coming with me, and I lead them out through these people. And that's the image I have of God, who takes his sons, who takes his daughters, and he, he holds them in his arms, and he puts a lock hold on them. They're not getting out. And he carries them, he protects them. I love that little boy that I got to hold. I die for that little boy. Guess what? God loves you, children, you sons, you daughters. And he's willing to die for you, and he did. Do you think we could trust him? Do you think we can choose faith over fear and doubt? I think so. May the choice be... That we choose faith over fear and doubt. So what's the cure for this? Let me just give you the short answer. I have lots of applications I can make, but I can't stay up here any longer. It's really a choice of this. It's a choice of fear of man or fear of God. That's what it is. It's either the choice of this here. Or a choice and I choose a cloud because God appeared in the pillar of a cloud. Am I going to choose to fear God? Or am I going to choose to fear man? You say, well, what, what is the fear of God? Are you saying I should tremble? Yeah, yeah, actually you should kind of maybe tremble around God. But at the same time you tremble, you draw near. Because the fear of God it's not like a horror film or something like that. The fear of God is, as Tony Evans defines it, it's taking God seriously. It's, it's taking God serious for who He says He is, that He is great, that He is awesome, that He is all-powerful, that He is stronger than anything else. And it's also taking into account that He is good, that He is gracious, and He's compassionate, and that He'll pick you up in His arms like a son. It's taking God serious for that. Over fearing man. What will be your choice? Do you choose fear or doubt?
that leads to unbelief. It's a choice we have. Dear God, I come and I praise you and I thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, the truth, the stories that you give us here in Numbers. You, your word tells us in 1 Corinthians. It tells us, Lord, that uh, these stories are here as an example to us. That we might learn and we might grow from this. And Lord, I pray that we will learn from this. And Lord, I pray we'll make a choice. It'll be the choice of faith over doubt and unbelief. Lord, there might be some here this morning who have never made that choice of faith at all. They've never made a choice to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. My prayer is today that they might realize that uh, they are sinners and that Christ died on the cross for their sins, was buried and rose again. If they simply put their faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone, they can be forgiven of their sins. But then, Lord, I pray for us as believers, may we realize that the walk of faith doesn't start with the reception of salvation. But the walk of faith is essential not to keep our salvation, but just to walk and to live out life here requires continued faith and reliance upon your Savior to empower us to live this Christian life. Lord, as we go out, as we face the doubts and the struggles that are there and that will come, Lord, I pray that your people here, that you will rise up a people of faith, that they will remember the songs that they sing and they're about to sing, that you are a God who is stronger, that you are greater, that that is who you really are. And that when they see the giants, they will realize that you are greater than any giant or any obstacle out there. And they will rely upon you. May they fear you, God, in a biblical way. May they have faith in you. And may you be glorified. And all God's people said,